Do you have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. For this program, we're going to study one of Jesus' parables, and sadly, the main point of his parable will be most people don't want God in their lives, so they make up excuses. I, I know a pastor who told me that he knocked on the door of an elderly gentleman who never went to church. He invited him to church. And the old man took out a yellow piece of paper. Pastor, do you see this piece of paper? Years ago, my church sent me this letter, and they said, because I never come to church, I can't be a member of that church anymore. Well, if they're going to treat me like that, I'm never going back to church. And I heard that story, and I thought, so this yellow piece of paper is this man's eternal excuse for ignoring God. That's not going to work on Judgment Day. What I want us to do is to study now excuses people come up with for turning their back on God. Would you take out your Bible? Turn to Luke chapter 14, the parable of the banquet. Luke chapter 14. And before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, we want to pray for anyone watching this program who is not following Jesus and they've got all kinds of excuses. We would pray, Lord, you'd break through those excuses. And Lord, may everyone watching this program go hard after God, put God first, and put all their excuses to bed. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I read this parable, let me set up the context. Jesus was invited to have dinner with Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. They tended not to like Jesus. So Jesus tells a couple parables. And at the end of parable number two, this happens. So we're in Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of those Pharisees who reclined at table with Jesus heard him say these things, these parables, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And probably there was a little presumption going on, and probably this Pharisee is saying, Well, I'm a Pharisee, therefore I expect to get into the kingdom of God. Next part of verse 15. But Jesus said to him, and now he tells this parable. Here we go. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. In this story, God is going to be the man, the banquet's going to be the kingdom of God, and the many, the many is mankind. I want you to notice the word many in verse 16. Here's the first lesson from this parable. God wants many in the kingdom. Do you know that for 2,000 years, God has sent out many missionaries all over the globe, inviting millions of people to his banquet. I don't know what your church is like, but I preached to my own church last week. Everybody, let's be part of that. I hope missions is a big deal in your church. I hope you pray for the missionaries. I hope you give your money to the missionaries. And if you've never prayed it, I hope you pray this prayer. God, are you calling me to become a missionary? Because people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, some of them, for the first time, are becoming missionaries. So 
the first point is God wants many in his kingdom be part of the mission of the church somehow, some way. Look at verse 17. At that time, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Here's the next lesson. The Christian's job is to invite people to the banquet. Your job as a Christian, my job as a pastor, every Christian's job is to urge people, come to the banquet, come to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, come receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our job is to urge people, come to the feast. Dan Green wrote these words, witnessing, that means sharing your faith in Christ with others, witnessing is not a spare time occupation or a once a week activity. It must be a quality of life. You don't go witnessing. You are a witness. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. I want you to notice the word all in Luke 14, verse 18. Here's the sad lesson for the day. Most people don't want the kingdom. You know, if you've ever tried it, you know that when you try to talk to a lot of people about God, oh, thank you, not interested. And they make up excuses. Well, today, let's look at three very popular excuses for ignoring God. Look at verse 18. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Here's the number one excuse people use to avoid God. I'm too busy. Years ago, I'm, I'm witnessing to this high school girl, and she listens to me for a while, but finally she says, I know you're right, and when I'm old, I will become a Christian, but I'm young, and I want to have fun, and, and when I'm older, I'll become a Christian. And I said to her, you've made two bad mistakes. Number one, you've assumed the devil is fun, and God isn't. You're going to learn. You serve your flesh and the devil, that's not fun. And number two, you don't know when you're going to die. You could die in five minutes. So if you're one of these people who are, you're putting off Jesus because you're just too busy right now, that's a stupid thing to do. Let's look at the next excuse, verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Now, this excuse is really bogus, because <laughs> you don't inspect the oxen after you buy them. You inspect the oxen before you buy them. So here's this man's real excuse, materialism. I'm so into my oxen. I'm so into my hobby. I'm so into my sports. I'm so into my car. I'm so into my garden. I'm, I'm so into my house. Uh, I'm so into materialism that I just don't have time for God. And I think of what Jesus said to the disciples in the garden. Could you not watch for one hour with me? Can I ask you to do something today? Could you turn off the TV for an hour and today spend one hour alone with God? Don't be too busy for the creator of the universe who loves you more than anyone anywhere. Verse 20. And another said, here's the next excuse, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Here's excuse number three. I am married. Now, <laughs> nothing's wrong with marriage. God invented it. The Bible says, let marriage be held in honor by all. 
But there are people who use their marriage as an excuse to avoid God. For instance, maybe you know someone like this. Here's this woman, and she says she's a Christian. But her husband's an unbeliever. But you know, I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm just not going to go to church anymore so that he's not uncomfortable. Well, you don't put your whole Christian life on hold because of your husband's unbelief. <laughs> now, you know, 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you're married to an unbeliever, you stay married to the unbeliever. Uh, but it never says you don't keep going to church yourself. And, and if you're married to an unbeliever, you're not supposed to pester him or her to become a Christian. In fact, it says this in 1 Peter 3, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct, the behavior of their wives. So if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, you are to be kind, loving, and by the way you live your life, you can win them without a word, without nagging them. But again, it never says that you yourself as the Christian are to stop going to church or going hard after God. You keep going after God. And if your husband won't go to church, that's his problem. You go to church. <laughs> Let's look at verse... Well, anyway, so here are three popular uh, excuses. I'm too busy for God. Materialism. Hey, I'm in a relationship or a marriage, and I can't get to it. Here's what Gildenhuis, a New Testament scholar, said. These three excuses are merely pretexts. They do not adduce any real reasons why they are unable to go to the banquet. Their excuses are false and grounded on nothing. For instance, one does not first buy a piece of ground and only afterwards go to see what it looks like. And if one has already bought a yoke of oxen, it is useless to only go then to examine them, for the sale has already been completed. And the fact that one is married is certainly not an excuse. The point of this parable is people come up with a million stupid reasons that don't work to follow, for not following Jesus. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. Here's the next lesson of the parable. God is angry when people reject his invitation. And let me defend God for just a minute. God's got the right to be angry. Think of this. God gives you everything you own. God created you. He gave you this incredible human body. God gave you this incredible, complex, wonderful universe in which you live. Everything you have is from God. Your breath, your, your air. I mean, the Bible says God is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Everything you have, you owe to God who created you. So God's got a right when people ignore him and spit in his face. God's got a right to be angry. And in this parable, he's angry that people are ignoring him. Verse 21, And he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Here's the next lesson. God goes for the low and despised. People that are too busy, okay, I'm going to go for the lowest people in our society. And years later, after this parable, the Apostle Paul is writing the Corinthian church, reminding them of what they used to be like before they were saved. And here's what Paul says. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you ever wonder why wealthy Hollywood movie stars are into Scientology instead of Christianity? It's because God goes for the low and despised. That's not to say there aren't rich Christians in the world. There are. And, and Abraham, for instance, in the, in the Old Testament was very wealthy, and we know he's in heaven because of the parable Jesus preached back a chapter earlier in Luke 15. So there will be rich people in heaven, uh, but not many of you were that way. I, I, here's a Christian woman, very wealthy woman, and she says to her friend, I praise God for the letter M. And her friend said, what do you mean? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, it doesn't say there weren't any who were wealthy. There weren't any who were wise. It says there weren't many. <laughs> so you can be saved and be wealthy, but be careful. Look at verse 12. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges. And that's probably a reference that, okay, you Jewish uh, Pharisees are rejecting the gospel. We're going to take the gospel now and give it way out in the hedges to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That's probably what the meaning of this parable is. Uh, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in. Here's the next lesson. The Christian's calling is to compel people. Please come to Christ. This is urgent that you come to Christ. Here's a young woman, and uh, a man at her office starts talking to her about Jesus and her need for Christ. And she goes home and says, Mother, this man at the office today told me that I'm a sinner and that I need Christ in my life. And Mother said, Well, next time he tries that, you just tell him to mind his own business. And the daughter said, Mother, he acts like this is his business. Christian, your job, my job, our business is to urge people, compel people to come to the feast, to come to Christ. Next part of verse 23, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. I want you to notice the word filled there. Next lesson, God wants heaven filled. And do you know heaven will be filled? Did you know that? Some people think there are only going to be a few people in heaven, and they think they get that from this verse when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate who is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And some people assume that must mean there are very few people in heaven. A contraire, because look at what the last, chap, the last book of the Bible says. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and languages. They were standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hand. In other words, heaven is going to be so full, you can't count all the people up there. So here, here's what we need to put two things together. Yes, the way into heaven is very narrow. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior to get into that gate. He is the gate. 
But we are going to discover on the last day, hallelujah, so many people took that narrow gate that you can't count them in heaven. <laughs> Verse 424, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Next lesson, if you reject God's invitation, you will be rejected. How liberal Christians get universalism out of the Bible with verses like this is beyond me. Let's review what universalism is. Universalism is the heresy that everybody goes to heaven. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Just God is, you know, if you reject the invitation, no big deal. God's a pushover. He'll let you in anyway. That's not what Jesus says here. He says, those who reject my invitation will not get in. You need Christ to get in. Well, that's the end of the parable. Now, the Pharisees probably didn't like that parable much, but I want to ask you the main question from this parable, and here it is. What is your excuse right now for not following Christ? Is it that you're too busy? You know, I hope you find an hour today and you spend it alone with the Lord. Is your excuse materialism? You're so caught up in your hobbies or this or that, you just don't have time for God. Is your excuse a relationship? You're living in a sinful relationship and that is killing your relationship with God. Let me just close with this. <laughs> I got an email some time ago from a woman who I think watches this program. She's in her 50s and she says, Pastor Brock, I, I, I've, just, I've, I've met a boyfriend, we're in a sexual relationship, it has so enhanced my prayer life and things are going so well for me now. What's wrong with this? I wrote her back, fornication, having sex outside of marriage is not going to help your prayer life. I think you're deceived. And I urged her, 1 Corinthians 6 says, fornicators don't go to the kingdom. I urge you to repent of this. Well, she wrote me back. Dear Pastor Brock, regarding fornication, I am struggling to repent of this, but I want you to realize that being single is never going to be great by any stretch of the imagination for me. Serving God is a chore for me, and serving the devil, fornication, comes rather naturally. Frankly, the only reason I keep struggling to stay in God's camp is because I fear hell. I'm tired of these Christians who are forever talking about all the joy there is in serving the Lord. They're like aliens to me. If I was walking around saying what a happy life I have serving the Lord, I would be lying. Thank you for your prayer, Pastor. I wrote her back. If you can read anything by Pastor John Piper, DesiringGod.org, he writes great books about seeing God as our highest joy and seeing through the lies of the enemy. Satan does not bring joy. God does. I know it's a struggle to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, but there is joy in the Lord. May God grant us the grace to see that joy. And you know what I thought of? I thought of the C.S. Lewis quote when he said, God has terrible warnings for those who refuse to be happy. And his point is this, God is our joy. God is our happiness. If you're really selfish and you really want great joy in this life and the next, you're going to follow Jesus. <laughs> but if you focus on things that will not bring you joy, fornication, money, materialism, etc., etc., C.S. Lewis says God has terrible warnings for those who refuse to be happy. That is the parable. Can I ask you to do something from this parable? I want to ask you to spend one hour alone with the Lord.
just spend time, turn off the TV set right now if you want to, but somehow, or, all right, wait till the end of the show, but turn off the show and just spend one hour alone with the one in the universe that can bring you joy. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, before we go any further, when you talk about heaven, and you were talking about the wealthy and the poor and everything, will there be um, knowledge when people get to heaven of whether somebody was wealthy in their first life? Mm. or? I don't know that we know the answer to that. I think you I, will know there was my, I, I think you'll know that's grandma, and there's my father. Because it says you'll know Abraham, you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven, and you'll know it's them. So I think you'll know your Christian loved ones, whether you know there's a wealthy person. I mean, can I, quick story. A wealthy woman and her chauffeur die in a car accident. They both go to heaven. They were Christians. Uh, St. Peter shows the wealthy woman a nice little white cottage where she'll be spending eternity. She looks across the street. Here's this huge mansion. And, and she says, St. Peter, who's, who owns that mansion? Who gets to live there? Well, madam, that's for your chauffeur. My chauffeur, how come he gets that and I get this? Well, madam, we build your house up here according to the materials you sent on ahead of you. <laughs> so I think, I don't know that we're going to know that person was rich, that person was poor. But the Bible does say, and don't take that little story literally. I don't think it has to do with houses. But you will be rewarded. We're saved by grace alone. You only get into heaven by the blood of Christ, grace alone, period. But the way you live your life after you're saved, you will be rewarded accordingly by that. And we get that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Okay, well yeah. that answers it. Yeah. Pastor Brock, we have a listener that would like you to explain what is syncretism. And I've never heard of this yeah. word. Syncretism, syn, sin, is S-Y-N, in Greek means with. Syncretism is when you mix all the religions of the world together with each other and you come up with the belief that we all really believe the same thing. I was at a garage sale this week, Jackie, at a Lutheran church, and they had a picture in their narthex of all the different religious symbols, the cross, the Star of David, the, you know, all the Islam, everything, and they all, with all their version of the, the golden rule, do unto others. The reason I wouldn't, and I, and I know that every religion has a version of do unto others, I know that, but the reason I wouldn't put that in our narthex is the impression you get is all these religions, they really believe the same thing. No, we don't. And Jackie, this offends people, but I think if you do not have Christ, you're not going to heaven no matter how sincere a Buddhist you are. But sadly, syncretism is kind of like universalism. Everybody's saved. Um, how much time we got? I got I to gotta jump into this, Jackie. The head bishop of the Episcopal Church, and I like the, I used to love the Episcopal Church. They have beautiful hymns in the Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. They've got the <clears throat> Book of Common Prayer, which is the most beautiful hymn book, uh, prayer book ever written. But they've gone liberal. They've gone wacko liberal. They now install practicing homosexual bishops. The head of their church is a woman bishop by the name of Catherine Jefford Shorey. Let me zip through her sermon on Trinity Sunday. Do you know what Trinity Sunday is? Celebrate. Once a year we celebrate the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is her sermon. She doesn't mention God the Father. Why might that be? Well, for feminists, it's offensive to talk about God the Father. That's sexist. She mentions Jesus once, 
But you got to hear this sermon. Oh, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard. From the Reverend Dr. Bishop Catherine Jefford Shorey, head of the Episcopal Church in America. Preaching on the Trinity, we are all connected. In the great circle of life, the sacred hoop, the wonder of God's creation. Do you know what the sacred hoop is? That's Native American spirituality, so she's being trendy here. Today the church remembers the sacred interconnection of all that is. Uh, maybe part of what is wrong with the church is that we only intentionally focus on that interconnection once a year. She's talking about the Trinity. Um, it's a theme throughout our life uh, together, yet we rarely bring it into focus, even the hazy focus that it's the only possible way of talking about God's inner reality. If we understand that we are made in the image of God, then an intrinsic part of what we are is interrelated beings and community. That's what the Feast of the Trinity is all about, that God's own nature is a community of beings that is so aware of and open and vulnerable to each other that the sacred and divine community is one. I don't think God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit are vulnerable to each other, like they're going to hurt each other. I mean, what kind of weird... All right, it gets so much worse. Wisdom, as the creative aspect of God, is present and at work as creation begins. Is In the beginning, wisdom was there. She may have other names in the tradition, like white buffalo calf woman. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit referred to white buffalo calf woman, which is one of the deities of Native American spirituality? I, I don't have time to read the rest. This is so horrible. This is called syncretism. You take a little Native American spirituality, a little Christianity, a little Buddhism, you mix it all together, syncretism, and you've got the Reverend Catherine Jefford Shorey and the new face of Episcopalianism. Jackie, it, 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 I believe, is heresy and borders on the blasphemy of the Spirit, which Jesus says is the unforgivable sin, to equate the Holy Spirit with, with white buffalo calf woman. And I see I got one more minute to warn you about United Theological Seminary in New Brighton, which trains United Church of Christ pastors, Presbyterians, and Unitarians all under the same roof as if the Trinity doesn't matter. They have seven paintings of the divine feminine up in their building because they want you to worship God as a she. One of their paintings is of white buffalo woman. We worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do not worship white buffalo woman as Christians. So syncretism has really invaded the liberal churches and pray for the church. And the members of these congregations are accepting this? Oh, well, the, the Episcopal Church is dying. The United Church of Christ is... These churches that are embracing these things, they're just shrinking down to nothing. God bless the evangelicals and the conservatives and the Bible-believing churches. They're booming. These liberal wacko churches are just slowly going extinct. And they should. We'll have to talk about this on another program. <laughs> Tell them we're out of time. Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor Study. We ask... Would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 703-224-5111.
763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.